Father, thank you for this day that you've given to us, this day of rest and fellowship, this day of worship, this day in which we can come apart and come together. Uh, Help us to grow together in you and in our love for you, in Christ's name, amen. If you are remaining in here, could someone turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, and read verses 5 through 15. Matthew 10, 5 to 15. So, what's the purpose of Jesus coming into the world? This is a basic Sunday school question. Why did Jesus come into the world? To save sinners, right? To save people. To, to, to call people to repentance, to bring life. He came to save, to bring salvation. He is Jehovah saves. So why does he immediately tell the disciples, don't go to the Gentiles? The very purpose for him coming into the world, he tells the disciples, don't do. And that's an interesting that, that, that's something that, you know, maybe we've read the passage so many times that it doesn't surprise us like it should. It should surprise us. It should make us pause and say, why, if Jesus came to save the world, does he tell his disciples, don't preach to the Gentiles? And there are two things that come out of this that Bonhoeffer brings out of it. The first is, The nature of the ambassador and his authority. So Jesus establishes by, by establishing the bounds of the ministry, by establishing the very narrow proclamation of this message, it underscores Jesus' authority over the message. This is not the disciples' message that they are taking into the towns and cities. It's not their word. It is Jesus' word that is going into the towns and the cities. 
As Bonhoeffer says, the work of God cannot be done without due authorization. Otherwise, it is devoid of promise. But there's another sort of underlying question that I've found interesting over the years. And, and that is, why would Jesus exclude the Gentiles? Why throughout his ministry does he make a point of if a Gentile, if he ministers to a Gentile, it is an exception to his ministry rather than the rule of his ministry. Uh, why is Jesus' ministry so exclusive to his own people? And Bonhoeffer says something that I think is, is accurate, uh, at least I find it helpful. By excluding the Gentiles... It means that when they first received, the message of the gospel, it was a crucified, risen, and ascended Jesus that was preached to them. So by, 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 by removing the Gentiles from the focus of his earthly ministry, by, by excluding the Gentiles, what he is doing is preparing so that the first time the Gentiles encounter his message, it is through the lens of the resurrection. And, and so I find that a fascinating act of grace on God's part, rather than exclusion. Rather than, you know, Jesus loves Jews more than Gentiles or something like that. It's incredibly gracious on God's part that he waits until the full revelation and then opens it up to the Gentiles. But the other thing that Bonhoeffer points out is what is the activity that the messengers are sent to do in verses... Seven and eight. What is the activity? They're to do two things. So what is it they're called to do as his messengers? In verses 7 and 8 of Matthew chapter 10. Number one, they're called to proclaim, to preach. And number two, they're called to do miracles. Healing, raising the dead. They're called to the exact ministry. Notice that. The exact ministry... Of Jesus. This is the same message that Jesus proclaims. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he attests to that message, to the authority of that message, by all of his works of miracles. Healing, raising the dead, casting out demons. He gives this authority to his disciples and tells them, you are to go and engage in the same ministry that I engage in. 
And the significance of this is when we connect it with the nature of the authority, with the nature of, of this is the word of God, the ministry that his ambassadors are called to is this exact ministry. And so Bonhoeffer says, well, I'm not going to write it all out. I'll just say it. <laughs> it is the one Christ who passes through the land in the person of his 12 messengers and performs his work. The sovereign grace with which they are equipped is the creative and redemptive word of God. Now that is is fascinating. As these 12 go out through the land, they are doing the exact work that Jesus does. They are preaching the kingdom of God is at hand, and they are performing the signs and the miracles that attest to the kingdom of God being at hand. And so it is not that each one of these are going and becoming their own Messiah. We don't have 12 Messiahs all of a sudden that went out (laughs) derivating from the one. We have Jesus Christ in every single one of these locations as his word goes out with power. And so as the messenger of God takes the word of God in the power of God, it is the word of God. It becomes the word of God in action. Bonhoeffer then goes on to address an interesting verse. This is something that has, uh, let's see, verse 8, 9, let's see, verse 8 through 12. 8, eight through eight through 11. Could someone read verses 8 through 11? Yes. So this is another one of those things that's fascinating to me. If you've grown up in in Christian circles, uh, you may have encountered those verses. Uh, Maybe it was because you had missionaries that were camping out in your basement for months on end and uh, weren't interested in leaving anytime soon. (laughs) But but this idea of the nobility of poverty... uh, it's why the Pope is buried in a white pauper's tunic and a, and a plain box. This guy who literally has his own private airplane and car that he travels around the world in and, and opulence and all that, but he's buried as a pauper because he owns nothing. 
Because this is the man of God. This one who has no cloak, no tunic. The, the vow of poverty grows out of this. That is not God's point at all in setting this out. The poverty, Bonhoeffer says that the messengers are to go forth in the battle dress of poverty, taking as little with them as a traveler who knows he will get board and lodging at the end of the day. This shall be an expression of their faith not in men, but in their heavenly Father who sent them and will care for them. So the point of them going out impoverished is not to raise poverty as some noble ideal. The point of their poverty is to demonstrate their own and, and, to, and to require, both demonstrate and require their own faith in God's provision. That when Jesus said, take no heed of the things of tomorrow, do you not know that your heavenly Father will care for you? Just a few chapters earlier, his apostles know what that means and live it out. they're, They're taking his words completely literally, and he's telling them to take his words completely literally. And to show that they take his words completely literally in their ministry on his behalf. Uh, and, and so it's a, it's a focusing call. Uh, the faithfulness of the apostles as they go about this work requires daily faith. Do you see that? <laughs> Every single day. They're going to get up and say, I have no idea where I'm sleeping tonight. I have no idea what's going on, but I know I'm in God's hands. And so their very faithfulness requires ongoing faith on their part. And then the message itself, the the proclamation that they give. uh, In verses 12 and 13, here's the message. It's interesting. When you enter the house or the city, uh, find out who is worthy in it, stay there till you do. As you enter a house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. If it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. The simplicity and the brevity is is brilliant. The simplicity of the message, the brevity. Bonhoeffer says, as soon as they set foot in the house or city, they must come straight to the point. Time is precious and multitudes are still waiting for the message of the gospel. They are not there to mess around. (laughs) The message is immediate, and it is a pressing message. It's an immediate message, it's a pressing message, and it requires an immediate response. Bonhoeffer says, the whole message is staggering. 
in its simplicity and clarity. The kingdom of heaven is in your midst. Repent. It's staggering in its simplicity and clarity. And since the cause brooks no delay, there is no need for them to enter into further discussion. (laughs) There's no apologetic method here. (laughs) It's walk in, say the kingdom of God is in your midst, repent. And if they say yes, then you stay with them and you tell them the words of the kingdom. And if they say no, you spin on your heels and you walk away. Uh, there's a, there's a brutalness. There's a, there's a roughness to this. And he goes, he goes on and he says, when, when we describe or when we, when we see the, the kind of rough treatment, he says, is there, is this ruthless speed? There could be nothing more ruthless than to think, than to make men think there is still plenty of time to mend their ways. There could be nothing more ruthless than to make men think there is still plenty of time to mend their ways. And and so the the ruthlessness, the, the, the directness with which they come is part of this confrontation of the kingdom. When God comes to you and says, follow me, you are to get up and follow him. When he comes to you and he says, leave all, forsake all, you are to leave all and you are to forsake all. Anything short is simply not obedience. And and the way that he sends his disciples out is with this same boldness, with this same ruthlessness with which you and I are confronted with the gospel call. Because to dismiss, to reject this word, leads to instant dismissal from God. Do you see that? As soon as they say, we're not interested, leave them. To reject the word of God leads to instant rejection from God. To refuse to believe in the gospel, Bonhoeffer says, is the worst sin imaginable. And if that happens, the messengers can do nothing but leave the place. They must recognize in fear and amazement both the power and the weakness of the word of God. That is, that is, if, if you get that, (laughs) they, they recognize in terror and amazement both the power and the weakness of the Word of God. The Word of God goes forth and accomplishes absolutely nothing from my side of things. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings it to life, and he brings it to life when he will and where he will. And my labors are absolutely ineffective. And yet... They are the words of life. They are the words of, of, of life to those who are living. They are the words of death to those who are dying. And, and I have absolutely no agency in it at all. <laughs> so, so in this, uh, again, just to, to, to connect all this together, 
This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. This is the call of discipleship. Jesus says, come and follow me. (laughs) It's good to see our young people pursuing literature. (laughs) That's right. Uh, But it uh, underscores this overarching emphasis on what righteousness is, how we live in the kingdom, what what our righteousness looks like, how we live before the world, and then going forth and engaging in this message, this redemptive and transforming message uh, that the apostles go forth in the name of Christ and that still goes forth today. Uh, it is a glorious vision. So let me close this in prayer and we can go into our time of fellowship. Father, we do thank you that you still send that word forth in power and beauty. Uh, help us to, to long for it, to seize it, and, and to walk in your ways. In Christ's name, amen.